Hi, this is Jeremy, co-founder and CTO of the United Manufacturing Hub. And we're here today at the offices of Bain Company in Düsseldorf, Germany. And with me is Bodo Körber, partner at Bain Company. Thank you very much, Jeremy, also, you know, for making that happen after now nearly one week being with Bain. And uh, I'm really looking forward to our discussion, what's going on in the industry and also in technology. To, to get us started, maybe with an easy question, what is it that you do in your, in your spare time when you're not working? Well, you know, in my spare time, I'm driving with my motorcycles. So uh, honestly, I have three of those. Um, so that I won for going sporty, which is a Kawasaki Z900 IS in the style of the 1973 Z1900. Then uh, I have for cruising a Harley-Davidson Fat Bob. And then for long distance, like going to the North Cape and, uh, and other long distance journeys, I have a Kawasaki Virtus, which is a, uh, a long distance bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, if you ask me, how do you decide which uh, bike to take? Well, you know, sometimes I plan it and sometimes I decided just being in front of my garage. Yeah, nice. Let's go into your professional journey. I looked you up and you have quite an impressive story and quite impressive background. You started at Unilever and then you were recently at McKinsey. What would be the most important experiences that you had so far in your professional journey. I love to hear your war stories and assume <laughs> our, our readers and listeners do as well. Yeah, perhaps um, uh, there, are, there are surely a couple of ones, you know, perhaps um, when, when we look at my work um, at Rheinmetall Germany uh, for, the, for the automotive branch, when I was a member of the management uh, team of Rheinmetall Information Systems, so I'm responsible for all the IT and OT services for Rheinmetall Automotive, which comprised, you know, the ERP, the PLM, the, the CAD services, EDI, but also all the OT uh, services in the plants, right? Mm -hmm. So, and um, my task was, in today's terms, to digitize the entire group end-to-end. -end. So that means all group entities um, from R&D to aftermarket sales and services. And a couple of uh, also first-of-a-kind solutions that we implemented, for example, also the first direct integration between SAP, um, PLM, and also Dassault Systems uh, Cartier, mm -hmm. so the CAD system, which was necessary really to follow uh, on all the, the changes that the construction uh, people also did on the on the models and also mm -hmm. to have the consistent uh, calculation of the cost. You know, that was one imperative of that. And then also implementing SAP SCM at former times, also being known as uh, the Advanced Planner Optimizer, which we also implemented, for example, at, uh, at Peerburg. Um, yeah, I think uh, all the group implementations that we did with SAP, but also adjacent solutions and down to the shop floor, including MES, line monitoring systems that brought me also, you know, to the passion also for the IT, but also for the OT, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the starting point with the vertical integration also that we did for a lot of solutions also in the, in the manufacturing sites of, of Rheinmetall Automotive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, you know, with this passion that continued then, <laughs> And uh, another very large uh, project was the um, implementation of SAP ERP and also SCM at BMW in a component mm -hmm. and vehicle manufacturing plants. 
um, comprising um, the, the software or the processes from taking over the config, configured cars, mm -hmm. right? And from there, with those uh, kind of inputs, then running the entire process chain until to the supply to line and the production systems in the, in the plants. So basically you did almost the entire enterprise architecture for those companies. So you were talking about the entire manufacturing cycle with PLM. You were talking about supply chain as well. Um, so any, anything in enterprise architecture where what you didn't touch so far? Mm, no, I don't remember. So, <laughs> so basically, no, I think really we touched um, um, everything there. And um, I think what was also, I think what is notable, uh, I think we did and established for Rheinmetall in 2002 the first private cloud in Germany for the defense part and also for, for the automotive part. You know, today it would be cloud. You know, at that point of time, it was outsourcing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that was really the, the, the first private cloud. So, and then um, a couple of years back um, at VW, uh, when I was with, with McKinsey, mm -hmm. um, we uh, shaped the industrial cloud and the digital production platform from the requirements, um, from the technical requirements, but also the business requirements with uh, also building the partner ecosystem, um, for the platform, including suppliers, including other contributors um, for the platform, but also on the other side, working with production and logistics on identifying and validating um, more than 100 use cases, um, contributing to the reduction of the manufacturing cost and the reduction of supply chain cost, right? Um, so, and as this was a cloud platform, I think it was one of... Uh, of the first um, industrial cloud projects uh, globally. When was it? It, was, it started in 2018, mm -hmm. and the partner that, um, that were selected was AWS for the IT cloud platform and Siemens um, as the integration partner. And also we helped then setting up the entire governance, development processes, rollout logic for the plants in terms of which use cases should go first in which plants, which plants were already uh, that mature to connect to the cloud you know we made also analysis of the it and ot in the in the plants so that means the manufacturing cells that could be um connected to the cloud also from the security perspective looking at the plcs the clock times the uh, uh the data flows the securities um uh, specifics the dmz so everything right so that means really starting the journey really from the ground with all the basics that you need to do also from the ITOT diagnostic perspective. And how much is it integrated with the topic of connected cars? That's or, a different or, topic, okay. right? Therefore, okay. therefore, VW is running a different cloud. Okay. Okay. So you basically build up everything for them and architect it for everything for the manufacturing. Yeah, production from, and logistics, exactly. Okay, nice. And what brings you now to, to Bain and company in your current role what are your responsibilities there well the unit that i'm leading is called advanced digital technologies for industrials right so what we would like to to embrace is is really an unbiased view on the architectures and enabling the business process of our clients which start at the engineering product design for example then also uh, manufacturing operations supply chain but also 
than the product service, you know, for any kind of manufacturer like um, um, machinery companies who have also a large installed base in the field mm -hmm. and are also looking for solutions for remote operation. Okay, nice. So I saw yesterday you posted an article of Bain at LinkedIn, and I think it fits just perfectly well with my next question. The article is called Factory of the Future, How Industry 4.0 and AI Can Transform Manufacturing. And it fits just perfectly well because my question for you was how do you see the factory of the future? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, thank you very much. And yeah, I would like also to, to thank my, my colleagues, Jörg, Thomas, Frank, and also Christian for releasing that, um, that yesterday. Yeah, I think the team is, is quite busy and also translating um, current observations out of running projects from Bain or mm -hmm. recently um, delivered project um into into this report right so that i think that's the essence what what we're currently um, observing so um when we look at the factory of the future i think the factory of the future is already embedded into the supply chain the other angle is also there to be more flexible also in the layout of the plants which means also the the menu that you have lineless uh, mobile assembly uh, systems for example mm -hmm. instead of fixed lines You know, that could also be uh, more leveraged and also mobile and stationary uh, robots and surely technologies, you know, that help you also to improve in terms of quality, visual inspections, i.e. Uh, powered visual inspection uh, um, solutions. Because I'm following your content and you always talk about land-centric infrastructure. Is it what you, what you mean with that? Yeah, I think, you know, from the architecture, I think we have to, to look what is really happening, you know, on the machine level, what can be computed and also decided on the edge, right? So that means where you have getting data and then also the PLC already decides what to do. That is, you know, what, what I call as edge-centric. So that means very close, you know, to the, to the machine level. And the other thing is plant-centric, what you can really also analyze in terms of data and also compute on the plant level. And then surely in terms of a tiered approach, which is always necessary, then you can also decide which kind of services you use out of the cloud mm -hmm. and also which data you would like to, to send to the cloud, perhaps, you know, to have it computed in the cloud, right? And there is no one size fits all. I think that is very important. Also, what we do at Bain now in my unit, mm -hmm. that we look at the ideal architecture for you as a customer. Right. And it's not a vendor driven architecture. Surely each of the vendors wants to position his architecture in terms of footprint, subscription, fees, whatever it is. But we see there's a need to clarify that and really come to an unbiased perspective, really to develop robust, scalable, but also economically reasonable architectures. Right. And um, as you know, I have an auto, strong automotive background and as an automotive supplier, for example, in my role at Rheinmetall, we re really needed to consider each investment, you know, what, for example, the payback was. I'll give you an example. We developed a line monitoring system that could detect any kind of inclusions of air when you had, you know, the molding of motor blocks, Right. So I remember, I think it was an effort of around 14,000 euros that one of my departments then needed, you know, to develop this. Mm -hmm. And this kind of requirements and then no luxury, 
but really delivering what is needed. I think that is a typical automotive and manufacturing perspective on that and not overwhelming the people, just really delivering what is needed to optimize the, the process and optimize the product, right? And I think that is the kind of down-to-earth perspective that we would like also to bring as an advocate of the client, you know, really into this kind of, of area. And how do you then do the balance between creating a value add and just focusing on a use case, but at the same time building on a scalable architecture? It seems that these are typically like two different work streams, like one person just focusing, let's redo OEE monitoring, you come in with a fixed solution, or people that build up a very nice infrastructure, but you cannot do anything with it. How do you strike the right balance? So I think the balance um, is that we think right from the beginning, of uh, the ideal architecture and surely also considering not only one use cases but you know really enabling a set of use cases so that means the architecture is so to speak agnostic regardless which use cases can can be built on that and we are also looking for for the most distinctive partners in in in, in this different kind of areas mm -hmm. so and i'm not talking about any kind of size of companies i'm talking about unique control points that we can in favor and better for the benefit of our our clients really solve right and i think that makes definitely the difference and that is not only limited to one plant but we are also looking at architectures that can be scaled across a plant network because at the manufacturing side or what we see the world is often completely heterogeneous due to M&A or local sourcing decisions. So that means you have different kind of PLCs, you have different kind of IPCs, you have different kind of networks, you have different kind of, of software. So that is one of the, so to speak, inhibitors or barriers that a lot of our industrial clients are facing, right? Because no plant is similar to the next one in terms of the software and the hardware. And we have to find the approaches and also the solutions to start in terms of uh, rep and extent rather than rip and replace mm -hmm. and also serving our our clients with intermediate architectures what i mean even if we design a target architecture and over time we could go there with different kind of components solutions software hardware often the clients do not have time so that means i would like to say to see a payback within six months mm -hmm. so Yeah, then the question is, okay, shall they wait for the ideal target state, regardless which kind of rollouts they need to be made from the ERP, SM side, whatever it is. No, we have also the assets and also the approaches and the, the methodologies to, um, to define um, architectures also for the intermediate states, but on which we then can build and evolve. So maybe as, as a final question to the topic of plant-centric infrastructure, How do you strike, again, the right balance between architecture and, and use cases? Maybe just in a couple of sentences. So I think um, for, for any kind of use case uh, has requirements, you know, from the technology. That means which kind of data sources, which kind of applications um, should be addressed or, or even needs a new complete new application. But we see also composite applications where also the use case needs data, you know, from that system, from this system, and so to speak, compose a new one, also creating new results. So I think that must be clear in the analysis that we are doing, all those kind of requirements are being analyzed and then surely will lead then also to the, to the architectural perspective. All right, so we talked about plant-centric infrastructure and how to strike the right balance between 
architecture and use case development. Now, what would be an example for such an architecture? Yeah, I think um, let's let's talk about one uh, enabler. You know, I think that has also come to more and more importance, I think, in the recent years in leverage. I think we need to think about an event-driven architecture mm -hmm. um, in terms of a publish and subscribe methodology, right? So when you look at the traditional IC95 layers and also, you know, the pyramid, surely traditionally the applications only allowed to send data from one layer to the next one or, you know, up or down, whatever it is, you know, from the ERP to the, to the MES and, in, and to the layers then uh, down to the, from the device level. So I think that is overcome with the technology set that we have and the unified namespace, for example, that also helps you to overcome heterogeneous architectures. So considering the fact that 80% in the industrial space um, are brownfield environments, um, surely 20% uh, greenfield, and I think that will also stay this ratio for the, for the next 10 years. So the question is then, you know, for any kind of um, COO, uh, CIO and CEO, well, you know, what do we do then with our 80 or 50 or 100 or 20 heterogeneous plants? Mm -hmm. Shall we start at all? And I think, yes, you can. And in terms of a rapid extent approach, which leverage technologies like the unified namespace? And then over time, you can also build on those technologies, the target architecture. I think that is very important to uh, fuel your use cases. So basically, you start with what you have and build on this. I think that is a good uh, starting point. Yeah, I, I assume that most of our viewers and listeners already know the concept of a unified namespace. And I think they are uh, delighted to see how to explain this to CEO as you, as you just did. Now, thinking about this is now only a technical thing, this unified namespace and uh, the architecture behind it. What are also the other important levers toward digital transformation? Because it's not only about technology. I would even say technology is the easiest. What's, what's the hard part with organization and skills? I think the ITOT convergence is on the way, mm -hmm. which means that the, the people from IT and the people on OT from the shop floor also need to work together. I just give you a practical example. What we see usually is that the shop floor IT uh, reports to the CIO. Mm -hmm. Then you have the automation technology and you have then also the plan maintenance, right? And those uh, those troops then report to the CIO or to the plant director on the plant level. So, but basically when you look what, what should be in place is uh, at least a joint ITIL pro process where, you know, any kind of incident and problem management will be done jointly. So that means the plant maintenance folks, the automation technology guys, the shop floor IT together, mm -hmm. right? Um, because otherwise, how should you then identify what the root cause is? Is it the network? Mm -hmm. Is it the PLC, right? Um, is it the application? Is it the database? What is it, right? So that means we need to, um, to apply the best methodologies that we have already implemented in business IT, also with ITIL and, and, and other uh, methodologies and technologies also there. So that means we have to to blend, so to speak, the workforce, bring them together, and that they work on a unified process there in, in order to support the plant in the best way, reducing downtimes as well, and so that everybody knows what, what needs to be done. And also the IT-OT convergence also means that they also need to be aligned 
also, for example, on the technologies in security. Mm. It's not only OT security and IT security mm. anymore, because if you connect the networks, then you have to be aligned. How do you do the security? That's just that is one uh, one part. And the other part also that what we see in terms of uh, IT audit conversion teams of ERP and then also the MES systems underlying underlying system in the plant or executing on the on the planning. There's also always a discussion, what is the handover, right? That means how far you are going in the ERP, also in terms of the capabilities and functionalities that you're using, mm-hmm. where's then the handover in the plant, where the plant system take over, mm-hmm. and uh, when again you give, go back into the ERP. There's also a slider, I think, which is also based on the different kind of manufacturing archetype that you have, mm-hmm. right? That means the product that you are that you are producing in a plant, or you know the the manufacturing type, make to stock or engineer to order, what it is, and that could lead to different kind of architectures that you need. Also, the balance between corporate systems, ERP, um, and for example, also the MES and Momlia. Jeremy, so you are also doing really highly innovative and inspiring things. So what is what is your vision also to help companies scale the architectures, also leveraging the United Manufacturing Up approach and technologies? Yeah, so I would say regarding to technologies, we try to be conservative. I know it sounds a little bit range coming from, from a startup, from a startup, really. from a startup <laughs> CTO, but I think this is what what the industry needs at the moment they need best practices so what's new for them is for example what you also, you talked about it and ot convergence so for ot and it people that need to speak together and our approach is to take ot best practices and it best practices so both of it is is new for the other one but in general it's considered very basic. So to give you an example on the technology level, for example, to to scale, to send really a lot of data through the architecture, we are leveraging the systems that are used in IT, that Google, Amazon, Facebook, that they're using, Kubernetes, Docker, etc., Kafka. And with these systems, it's just proven that they that they work. Have not really been used so far in OT, but in IT, they're just standard. Like one of the examples where we say, hey, we just use like very old technologies just in a new context. And in general, what we, how we make this scalable is there's the technology point, like, okay, best practices for OT, so not throw a Raspberry Pi into it, and also use IT best practices, but also from organizational point, because it's not only about the technology, it's also about that the people can use it. And let's take the example of Node-RED. I think it's, a, for me, a good example. We're using just this tool because it can be used by IT people and used by OT people. It might not be the the best tool in each of it, but both departments can work with it. And this is what we see also large enterprises doing. They take these type of tools, throw it in so that they can actually scale through the factories, that they can actually ensure they have now 120 plants. They can now throw these tools in there and they know that it doesn't matter whether they're in Brazil or somewhere in Singapore, they find people that can work with these tools and can implement it. And this is what we're doing at the United Manufacturing Hub, just using best practice, IT and OT best practices. Combine them. Packaging methodologies and, and tools on open source, as I understand it. Yeah, and that, that's one of the uniquenesses from us. So everything that we do is open source. So the entire core, the source code is, is available. It builds great community around it as well. There is ecosystem agnostic. By using vendor neutral technologies, such as MQTT, it's really easy to 
connect e different ecosystems. So it doesn't matter where you're from, a Siemens or Honeywell or whatever, almost all of them have something to do with MQTT. So it's ecosystem agnostic. And then the third unique point of us is end-to-end. -end. It's not only about data infrastructure, not only about the organization, it's also about where should this applications run? How do you then maintain it? So it needs to run, for example, an edge device and you need someone to maintain this. So what type of tools and technologies are they using? And then also put it all into central interface so that the people in the factory can actually use all of these best practices without needing to, to train to train a lot. Okay, and now coming to the final question, why should companies go to Bain and not try out the topic of architecture themselves or hire a system integrator? Why should they come to you, for example? Okay, so um, I, I joined Bain with a clear mission in the Advanced uh, Digital Technologies Business Unit for, uh, for industrial companies to really to be first the advocate of the client. I think I mentioned already also in, in our previous uh, discussion, which means robust, scalable, and economically reasonable architectures. Mm -hmm. And we are not getting any fees from any kind of vendors, right? And we are also not having, so to speak, the feed of, you know, a couple of hundred thousand um, application management people, right? So that is one. The second one is, that we will establish a, a partner network, and we have already a lot of distinctive partners, but we will continue finding really the pearls, so to speak, in the partnership landscape, giving us, and also for the benefit of the client, uniqueness in terms of the control points that, that help the clients building and scale those kind of architectures. Also applications from the PLM side, going down really also, you know, to the install-based management in for uh, machine builders, right? And also in the MES space and so forth and so forth. So um, that is what we are doing, a special kind of co-innovation ecosystem that we are building, mm -hmm. where we uh, invite our clients and also our partners to work on certain challenges and also solutions under NDA. Mm -hmm. So that means that everybody is also open to, to share the roadmaps and also the solutions. Eventually, mm -hmm. then also come to initial projects to test, not to pilot, but to test, you know, for scalability. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that is number two. Number three is we will pick up the clients where they are. Mm -hmm. That means everybody has already a status quo of application architectures and use cases, process being rolled out. And we are not number 16, making it even more complex um, with our partners and also the assets um, that we have been building, that we are building. We will accelerate the process and reduce complexity instead of adding complexity. And the fourth point is very important also that we will bridge for the benefit of the client between technology, process improvement, operations, Right, and also the, the industry paradigms and also best practices. So as a seamlessly integrated solution and experience. So not like a system integrator, which just asks, hey, what should I do? And they, they do it with whatever preferred partner they have, get even yeah, money or, for you know, also using, you know, 15 different kind of frameworks. Right? Yeah. You mentioned already the article that was released. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for example, Jörg is leading globally PI, process improvement operations uh, for, for Bain, mm -hmm. and we are tightly aligned. So that means my unit is 
delivering, you know, one layer in the factory of the future, which is the ITOT and all the digital enablement. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we are absolutely clear about one framework. We don't mm -hmm. have five. We don't have ten. We have one. And that's what I mean, you know, in terms of the benefit for the client that we talk the same language and we have seamlessly integrated in terms of the capabilities and also the approaches. Mm -hmm. And why, maybe as a last question, why should a company not buy to do it themselves? But what's the point where you would say it makes sense to, to come to you? Well, I think, uh, first of all, um, we have the overview, you know, what, what is really the most applicable solution and also then the methodology and the technologies. And the other thing is also the change element, which you should not neglect, right? Mm -hmm. That means um, it's not... Uh, enabling a technology is not a self-fulfilling prophecy. We talked about also the organizational challenges and change and also the value capture are two elements where I've also seen in the recent 30 years that the work of a, of a consultant, uh, which is really pragmatic and down to earth, uh, makes a difference mm -hmm. in terms of really ensuring the value capture. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Bodo, for your invitation to be here. And thank you also for, for being on this podcast, on this episode. And if you're listening or viewing to this, feel free to leave a comment under this YouTube video or wherever you find it and share it with your senior management. If you are watching this as a senior management, feel free to contact Bodo. If you have any questions, you can reach him via LinkedIn.